Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Christian Skeptic. And I want to start off this episode differently than I've ever started off any other episode before. And I want to do that by saying thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to and supporting this show. Maybe I'm just feeling a little sentimental because I'm currently recording this episode on the day after Thanksgiving. But I'm also recording this episode on a day where I had coffee with a friend this morning and he was asking about the podcast and he was asking about the statistics and where my listeners are from and how many people are subscribed on Spotify and iTunes and all the different platforms and how many downloads the show has and I was like you know what I don't really know I should look and if you log into your account on Podbean the website that hosts this show it will show you your statistics And I don't really do that, and I don't like doing that, because I never started this show to gain a following or to gain listeners. As most of you know, I started this show because I was a pastor for three years, and I taught apologetics in a school of ministry that the church I worked at had. And then I felt like God called me back into the engineering field, and so I followed that call. I answered that call. But the problem still remained that I had all of this apologetic knowledge and all of these conversations I'd had with skeptics and atheists and people of different faiths, and it was all just floating around in my head, just waiting to get out. And so I had the thought, well, I'll just start recording it and just start posting it online, and and maybe it'll help someone out there. Like, if I can just help one person find some clarity on these issues... Maybe they'll become a Christian. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll have a more solid understanding of why they reject Christianity. But if I can just help one person think and be kind of the other person on the other side of the coffee table as we have this conversation back and forth about faith, then that'll mean everything to me. And so that's why I started this podcast. But as it's been going on now for the past year and a half, I've received emails and I've received messages on social media and feedback from people in my hometown in person. And the response has been overwhelming, how much you all have appreciated the conversation and the questions that you email in or message in or just ask me in person. Those have been nothing short of a joy to talk about, to discuss, to respond to, and uh, even to record some episodes over. And I think the biggest compliment I ever receive about this show is when someone says that they passed this show along to a friend or a relative or a parent or a son or daughter or a brother or sister or just a, a co-worker, someone they know. When someone tells me, hey, I listened to your show and I shared it with this person and this person and this person and they're listening too. And I got to tell you, that's, that's the best compliment uh, you could ever give. And so thank you so much for doing that. And this isn't like a weird, <laughs> please share my show. You know, if, if you do, uh, that that's great. I, I love it. Like I said, it's the best compliment ever. But again, I'm just putting the information out there. And if it helps someone, um, then I know it's worth it. So that being said, let's get on to today's topic, which comes from an email um, from someone who wishes to be anonymous. But the question says, I have a hard time 
with Christianity in America and being an American Christian because I have the suspicion in the back of my mind that if I was born in another country or born in a family that practiced another religion, I probably wouldn't be a Christian myself. So is Christianity just the result of being born into a Christian family or into a Christian nation? And I love this question. This is a question I've gotten a lot over the years, actually. And I think, first of all, we have to kind of stop and and revisit the idea that we've talked about before in this show, and we've talked about it multiple times, but we have to revisit the idea that this belief, this choice of faith is that. It's a choice. I don't care what you believe in. I don't care if it's Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, if you're an atheist, or if you're agnostic. Your beliefs are your choice, and I don't think we can assume anyone is robbed of that dignity just because they grow up in a place that believes a certain way. Christian or non-Christian, I think if you grow up in a Christian home, and I think we're seeing that actually statistically, that secularism is on the rise in America, which is where this person was born, it's where I'm born, it's where uh, a lot of us are coming from, but secularism and spirituality are on the rise, and this, uh, this trend that we're seeing is also correlated with a downward trend in Christianity, in Protestantism and in Catholicism. Those uh, religions are both trending downward in coming generations. And I think that what that tells us is that even if you're born into a Christian home, that doesn't necessarily mean you'll stay Christian. But it's an argument that's been presented. And so it's an argument that sows seeds of doubt in our mind for religion in general. And on the flip side, when we look at statistics, um, I think a couple different areas of the world kind of come to mind when talking about this. And I think, especially coming from a Western background, it's easy for us to kind of fantasize or set up this hypothetical scenario in our minds about Africa or about China or about the Middle East. And there may be other scenarios we come up with. But I think that these are three examples that kind of tear down this common misconception that being born into a religious home means you will be that religion for the rest of your life. For example, if we start off in Africa, I think one of the common objections that comes uh, to mind, especially regarding this subject and regarding the either acceptance or denial of Christianity, is kind of the other hypothetical question of, well, what if I was raised in a tribe in Africa that was completely separated from the rest of the world and didn't have technology and didn't have Bibles, they didn't speak English or any of the other hundreds of languages the Bible's been translated into, and they had no access or knowledge to Jesus? And I think when we get to this question, we have to actually put some logic into this and say, is this true? Is this hypothetical scenario based in reality? And so the obvious place to go then is the reality of Africa. And so get ready, uh, book a plane ticket and go to Africa next week. But (laughs) where in Africa, you ask, because I feel like in the West, you think of Africa and you just think of like the movie Madagascar or something, right? Uh, But Africa is full of many, many countries and many diverse populations. Africa has nations and and cities that have the absolute latest advances in technology and infrastructure. And then there are more tribal plain areas of Africa, though those are starting to dwindle, especially as society advances. So book a plane, go to Africa, uh, come back, call into the show, email me, report how it goes, or we can look at statistics and make general assumptions, which is probably the more logical thing to do to answer this question in 20 minutes, and definitely the cheaper thing to do. So if we look at statistics, Christianity in Africa 
uh, by the year 2025 was projected to have somewhere between 630 million to 700 million Christians. Currently, as of November 26th, when I'm recording this podcast, 2021, there are over 685 million Christians in Africa, and if we continue on this current trajectory, there will be over 760 million Christians in Africa by 2025. Okay, big numbers. What do those mean? That means that one out of every four Christians in the entire world lives in Africa right now. Right, so, so that, that debunks this idea that there is probably some tribe in Africa that's never heard of Jesus, never heard the gospel, and has no access to the Bible or anything like that. Is it possible? Sure, that is that is still entirely possible. That's why it's a hypothetical scenario. Is it probable, though? I think the answer to is it probable is no, and even if there's a slight probability to it, that probability is quickly, quickly, quickly dwindling as Christianity is the fastest-growing religion in Africa. Okay, so what if you were born into a Muslim family in an ISIS-controlled area in the Middle East. I mean, the reality is, if you convert to Christianity under the rule of ISIS, you could very well face the penalty of death. There are still those in the world, there are still groups in the world that will behead you for saying you believe in Jesus. And yet, the teachings of the Bible say if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. And so now, if you're anything like me, you're thinking, well, this just sucks either way. Because if I reject Jesus, I go to hell, I don't go to heaven. But if I accept Jesus, I go to heaven today. (laughs) I don't get to live out the rest of my life. I I, I take an axe to the head. And so it sounds like an ultimatum in which you can't win. Of course, I would argue from a Christian perspective, you do win. Because heaven is life abundant. Heaven is life that is more true than the shadow of what real life is that we experience in this world, right? Paul said, now we see through a glass dimly, but then we shall see in full. In other words, this world is like watching a black and white television from the 50s, and heaven is the ultra HD 4K, whatever the latest LCD screen TV thing is. I don't know. This metaphor's falling apart. I'm not into TVs. I don't care. But (laughs) you understand where I'm going with this, right? So from the Christian perspective, I would argue that choosing Jesus and losing your life, as Jesus would say, is really, truly finding your life, right? He said, those that wish to come after me must lose their lives. For those that wish to keep their lives will lose it. And so you're like, well, that sounds all well and good. And yes, if it's, if it's true, there is some logic to that, right? That It makes more sense to choose Jesus, gain eternal life, and lose the temporal life that we all are going to lose at some point anyway on this world, right? Logically, your life, that makes sense, but does that actually happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, in 2018, the Gospel Coalition uh, published an article that cited a Dudley Woodbury um, study, as well as a study conducted by Mission Frontiers, the Dudley Woodbury study um, interviewing 750 Muslims who converted to Christianity and the Mission Frontiers study interviewing 600 Muslims that converted to Christianity. And what they found was that many Muslims loved Allah so much that they questioned their faith, right? Because as we discuss often in this podcast, it is a good thing to question your faith. It is a good thing to dig deeper. And that's not just an American reality. That's not just a Christian reality. That's a human reality. And so a large portion of Muslims that that convert to Christianity truly, truly love Allah. And they say, I want to know you, Allah, because Allah just means God. 
and they research multiple religious texts. And these are Muslims that have the opportunity to. So this might not be, you know, ISIS or terrorist controlled countries. But what they do when they're seeking to find this God of love that they love so much and to really know who he is, is for this group, they came to the logical conclusion that Jesus is Allah. Jesus is God and converted to Christianity. But the interesting thing to me was that both studies found around 25 or so percent of Muslims that converted to Christianity from those that they interviewed did so after Jesus appeared to them in a dream. Which, as a skeptic, I mean, I read that and I'm like, okay, I have more questions than answers now, right? Can I get an amen from my skeptic friends out there? Which is all of you. But <laughs> but that, that fascinates me, though, right? Because that tells me that even in the place where you think Christianity would be impossible, even in the home, the devout extremist Muslim home, where the conversion of Christianity means a death sentence most often carried out by the actual blood father, right? If, if you're, you were a uh, extremist Muslim and you have a child that converts to Christianity, it's your duty to slay your own child. Again, this is extremism. I'm not generalizing Muslims. So please don't get offended at that. But this is what happens in those extremist households, much like those controlled by ISIS or other terrorist organizations. And yet there are stories of Muslims growing up in those households. Jesus comes to them in a dream. They convert to Christianity and then delivers them from the household. And I, I would assume with a very sober mind that there are probably stories where Jesus comes to them in a dream. They have to choose between eternal life and life now, and they make the choice for eternal life and they lose life now. Obviously, we don't have those stories if they are real, but I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to assume that they are real. But back to the point, what this tells us is that the answer for those that grow up in those homes where Christianity is avoided like the plague, Jesus still finds a way. And, and if we assume the Bible's true, then this actually does make sense. And this is where my skeptic mind rests a little bit, because from Genesis through the New Testament, God comes to people in dreams. God comes to Pharaoh in a dream. God comes to Joseph in a dream. God comes to Daniel in a dream. God comes to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream. God comes to Peter in a dream. God comes to Paul in a dream. God comes to Zechariah and Mary and John and Elijah, all in dreams. And they're interpreted. And so there's a pattern throughout the entirety of history in the Bible of God coming to people in dreams and the dreams having substantial meaning. And in those cases, no one needed to share the gospel with those couple to a few hundred Muslims that had dreams of Jesus and became converted Christians because of it. No one had to hand them a Bible. It's as if, and follow me on this because this might sound crazy, it's as if God is bigger than us. It's as if God's will finds a way even when people can't. And then I brought up China, too, at the start of this episode, because I feel like that's an interesting kind of case study, if you will, as well, on Christianity in a, in a world, in a, a place, a culture that has, for the most part, always been hostile to it. You see, Christianity was the second form of religion to enter China behind Buddhism. Whereas for all of China and really the Eastern Asian world's established history, Buddhism and the variations of it have predominated the religious and cultural landscape. But did you know there have been six distinct times in the past 2,000 years where Christianity blew up in China? It boomed and 
what we refer to as revival spread across the land. This happened six times in the past 2,000 years where there was a major cultural shift in all of China, and that cultural shift revolved around Christianity. We don't actually know the exact dates of the first and second kind of revivals, cultural waves of Christianity. Most historians will tell you, though, the first one happened in the first couple centuries AD, as it were. And actually, scholars believe that it started in Philippi, not in Asia. And this, of course, is speaking to the journey that Paul made to Philippi, where he met one of the most powerful fashion designers in all of Asia. Her name was Lydia. She sold purple. And no, she wasn't on drugs. Purple was a kind of high commodity material dye at that time. And so her selling purple to us today is like she was a Bitcoin dealer or she owned a Lamborghini dealership or something. Like, you understand what I'm saying? It was a high dollar item. She was very rich and influential. And scholars believe that she took Christianity back to Asia and it spread like wildfire. And that was the first wave. And that the second wave happened just a few hundred years later, around the 7th or 8th century. The third wave happened uh, between 1206 and 1368 in the Yuan dynasty. The fourth wave happened in the Ming dynasty between 1368 and 1644 and bled into the Qing dynasty, king with a Q, in uh, 1636 through 1911. The fifth wave happened when missionaries from Western Europe and America arrived in China in the early, uh, sorry, in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And the sixth wave happened shortly after that in the rural parts of China. So the fifth wave happened in the more civilized, advanced parts and bled into the rural parts of China, where the rural parts of China, Christianity grew like wildfire. And now we could even be entering a seventh wave of Christianity as Christianity is outlawed currently in China, forcing churches to meet underground. And kind of as a side anecdote, which I think is really cool, and I'm getting this information from ChinaHighlights.com if you want to look more into it yourself. But because churches are going underground and Christianity is outlawed right now, the Chinese church is actually switching up their church structure to protect members especially male members from persecution, as typically the church is led by male pastors and elders. And currently, and this just blows my mind, so get ready for it, the, the underground church in China is training up women to be leaders and teachers in the church so as to protect the members and further spread the gospel in the community. And that just is the most rock and roll thing I think I've heard in a long, long time, and it blows my mind. But this is all contributing to China, uh, to Christianity in China right now being the fastest growing religion in all of China. And there's three examples of places that we think of as being hostile, and, and some of them are hostile to Christianity. And the harvest is ripe, as Jesus said, and to reference the feast episode, last episode, uh, a couple weeks ago, if you got some time, go check that out. The harvest is ripe. And yet in the West, in America and Europe, where we typically think you're born into a Christian household, we're leaving it. And this shows two things. Number one, Christianity is not a Western religion. It's a world religion that was started in the Middle East by a Jew who probably had dark brown skin because he worked outside all day. And number two, it doesn't matter what kind of household you're born into. It matters how open-minded you are and how much you actually want the truth and to question things and to pursue knowledge. 
and get out there. Man, question everything. You know me. We're dozens of episodes in by now, right? You, you, you know that I don't care if you were born into a Christian household and every member of your family is Christian. You need to question Christianity. You need to question, does the Bible really say that? Does Jesus really teach that? And I don't care if you're born into any other belief system. You need to question it. Or, <laughs> as God says to the prophet Isaiah, come, let us reason together. Or as Jesus said to those that would question him, come and see. Come do some digging. Let's investigate. But I don't know. Let me know what you think. Again, thank you so much for sending questions and comments and feedback in. And thank you so, so much for sharing this show. That is, I I can't tell you how much of a compliment that is to me and how much that means to me. If you feel like it, please continue to do all of those things. But that's it for today. That's all the time we have. So as always, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you've enjoyed the show. 